time for uh, the message this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 21. And we'll read from verse 10 to 13 this morning. Acts, chapter 21. together. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, then we'll look at this passage. Father, we just thank you once again for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the Son. Lord, and the salvation that we share this morning. <clears throat> Father, we just pray that uh, you would help to give us your understanding today, Lord, and that you would give me eloquence of speech, Lord, that I might describe um, faithfully your words and your truths this morning. We thank you once again for your grace, and we just pray for um, much of it today, Lord, that we might understand, we might know your ways, that we might live them as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're involved in any type of essential service, let's say you're, you're an army reservist, you're a police, you're a work for the fire brigade or CFA or any of those types of things, um, PSO, um, you've gone through a certain amount of training first up, haven't you? There has to be a certain amount of training so you know um, how to handle situations when they, when you, um, when they arise. Not only that, though, there needs to be ongoing training as well. So you need to, you know, if you're a policeman and you, you, you've been trained to use a gun, um, if you haven't shot a gun for, for six months or a year, you might start to get a little bit rusty. You know? So you need to constantly uh, practice those things. So the reason for that is that you're always in a state of readiness. If you're an Army Reservist, you're the same. So you're, if you're in the Army Reserves... You're not not necessarily fighting, but if the situation arises, you need to be in a state ready to to jump in at a a very short notice. Um, Same thing with the CFA. You work for the Country Fire Authority. Uh, You need to be ready. You need to know where things are, what things, you know, what's happening, you know, how things work. And you can't forget. You can't be trained once and then five years later remember everything and how things are, are meant to happen. So there needs to be a state of readiness all the time. Not only for that, but when you're on the job in these particular uh, types of, um, of uh, employments or occupations, you need to be at a constant state of readiness all the time. So if you're in a war, you need to be on the lookout all the time. If you're, if you're a policeman or if you're in those sorts of things, you need to be on a state of readiness. You need to be ready. And today I want to talk to you about being ready as a Christian. Because there is much 
in comparison with that, there is much that which is lines up with that sort of uh, requirement in this world. Um, the enemy does not attack. The enemy doesn't come to us when we get ourselves all ready and everything, you know, everything's lined up and all the, you know, everything's perfect for our timing. The devil tries to attack when? When you're the most vulnerable, when you and I are the most vulnerable, when, when circumstances are conspiring against us, when we're our, at our weakest. So there's a requirement for us to be ready at all times for this attack. If you're a Christian, then you walk, the Bible says, um, on a particular path, but the, the problem is that we're also in a state of war. There is, a, there is an enemy who is seeking to attack us, to degrade us, to infiltrate, and we need to be on constant alert for that. In our passage today, Paul says he was ready. Did you notice what he was ready for? He was ready to die. So he was not only ready, because they... When he was, he was ready to go to Jerusalem, okay? He needed to minister there. He needed to do something there. The Lord had called him to go there. And they were saying, don't go. Because the, the, uh, the prophet had told him, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you hand and foot and they're going to take you away or they're going, they're going to put you in prison. And Paul says in verse 13, he says, why are you, why are you weeping? Because they didn't want him to go. They were crying for him. He goes, why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. Because I'm not just ready to be bound only. I am ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. So Paul was ready to die. That's a bit of a challenge for us, isn't it? Are we ready to actually die for the name of the Lord Jesus? In our culture, it's a little bit alien to us because we don't die normally for what we believe. But there are plenty of places in the world these days where you will die for declaring that name or pledging allegiance to that name and or believing in that name. So today, what I would like us to do is look at a number of passages in the Bible that speak about being ready and what we are to be ready for. Because Paul says in Acts chapter 21, he was ready to go to Jerusalem and he was ready to die there as well. By the time he gets to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 where he's in a prison in Rome, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He was ready. He was ready from when the Lord called him. He planted so many churches that so many people were saved as a result of his faithfulness. He was always ready to go where the Lord would have him go. One of the greatest challenges that we face as Christians today is that too many Christians aren't ready. They're not ready. They're not ready for what the Lord would have them to do or where he would want them to go. The problem is that they're not just ready. Most of the time, they don't even know what to be ready about. Or to have the willingness to reach the stage of readiness for when they do know. We've all heard the phrase, ready, willing and able. Well, that's what the Lord's called us to, to be ready to be willing when he calls us, when he asks us to do something, and to be able. The abling is what is his job. He equips us. He, he I told you before that he enables us. But we need to be ready at all times because we cannot foresee, forecast what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Today my desire for you is to understand how important it is for you to be ready as a Christian and to show you and share with you what the scripture tells us about what things we are to be ready for. So that when the Lord asks us to do something or go somewhere, that we're able to do it. We need to always be ready to do what God wants us to do, and that's my challenge to us today. Unfortunately, many Christians, too many Christians in this world, are too ready to do something else. They're too ready to make money in this world and not give to the Lord's work. They're too ready to criticise others working for the Lord, but not ready to help and lend a hand themselves. Too ready to find fault in others, but remain blind to their own faults. Too ready to faithfully go to work every day, each and every day, and do overtime and everything else, but not faithful enough to go to church. Too faithful to spend time or too ready to spend time doing the regular things of the world, but not spending the time to do the Lord's work things. Reading, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer. Too, uh, too many are ready to have routines which they consider so important in their everyday lives, but don't have the conviction to create godly routines in their lives. But for those of you who want to step up to the mark, for those of you who are at the mark, to be called of God for his purpose. For those of you who want to be ready to be used by God so that they can be everything God wants them to be in this world. There are four important, actually five, I'll share with you today. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we'll look at the very first one. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says in verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Stop there for a moment. <clears throat> What's he ready for? What's the scripture asking us to be ready for here? It says to be more ready to hear. James says something similar. In James chapter 1 verse 19 it says, Wherefore my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Hearing is such an important part of our lives. If you struggle to hear, if you struggle to hear what's going on, you will struggle to learn. If you struggle to hear or struggle to take the time to hear first, then you will jump in and say things you're not supposed to say. You will prejudge a matter and then you will make the wrong judgment. If we speak too much, 
if we're too full of our own opinion because we're so busy to tell people what we think without listening to them. What we are saying to them essentially is your opinion doesn't really matter. Let me tell you what my opinion is. Now, I've got, I've got a podium here, so I can tell you what my opinion is for about an hour now. But when we're in conversation, this is not a conversation, this is a, this is a, a sermon, okay? But when in conversation, we need to be ready to listen. It's so important. If people don't believe that you're listening to them, what will they eventually do? They'll stop speaking. Listening is, a, is a, an important part of being a Christian. And the scriptures tell us so. Listening to someone says to them, I understand and appreciate your opinion. I appreciate what you're going through. As a result of being slow to, slow to hear and swift to speak, some people are slow to learn because they don't hear what God or others are trying to tell them. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7 says, Again, he, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If we're too busy talking, if we're too busy saying, if we can't listen and can't hear, then that will be the day when we don't listen and hear his voice. Are you ready to hear what the Lord is saying to you this morning? Because the devil at every possible stage will try to divert you from hearing something properly. Yeah, you might hear something and you might endure an hour of it, like on a Sunday morning or 45 minutes or 50 minutes, depending on what, um, where you're at, who you're listening to. But how much of it you actually heard? How much has actually sunk in and has been understood? The devil will do everything he possibly can to divert you, distract you, keep you not focused on what's actually happening if the Lord is speaking. Now, I'm not saying that I'm anything. But if the Lord is saying anything this morning, if the scripture is saying anything, then we need to be attentive to it. Because it's saying it and he's saying it for a reason. What you hear can change your life. You know, sometimes I, as a pastor, I get to counsel people. And you get to share knowledge that you have, the Lord's given to you with other people. And I must admit that human, the human character or the human condition often means that you have to say the same things dozens and sometimes hundreds of times before that one penny drops. And the Lord has called us to patience, and that's what I have to have. But that's an indication of what we're like as people. And I'm not different to you. Sometimes the Lord has to tell me, some, has to tell me something multiple times before I actually hear it. Do you, do you have the same problem as me? I know. I know it's, it's the case. And the Lord's got to get my attention in a stronger and stronger way. Wouldn't it be nice if we, if we heard it the first time and understood it the first time and actually believed it the first time? Wow. Imagine that life. 
this morning, there might be something you need to hear that might change your life. There might be one thing in these, all these words that I'm going to speak that actually may change a critical part of your life which sets you in a completely different direction, which God wants you to know. So it's imperative that we listen. Listening, as I said before, will save you from rash decisions, faulty perceptions, presumptuous sin. Where you jump into something and you think, this is what's got to be done. And then you haven't heard and you've actually gone the opposite way that God's actually told you to go. And then he's got to drag you back in again. There was a story of a young boy in the Bible called Samuel. Who was the young boy? The Lord began to call him audibly, mind you. Hmm. I haven't heard God's voice audibly yet, but Samuel did. When he went to Eli, and then he, he heard his voice, and he thought that Eli, the priest, was actually um, you know, calling him. And Eli goes, no, it's not me, go back to bed. And then Eli was perceptive enough to actually realise, hang on a sec, there's something going on here. This, this kid keeps hearing the, the same voice. Go back and say, you know, next time, he's, next time he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Say, Samuel listened to that advice, listened to the counsel. He heard it. He acquired it. He then did exactly what he was told, and he said those very words. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 with me. I want to share that particular passage with you. Because it tells us it tells us something very important about listening. First Samuel chapter three. Verse 9 and 10. This is Eli's counsel to Samuel. He says in verse 9, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. At that stage, that response changed Samuel's life. That response completely changed what the Lord would, would, would do with him. He heard the Lord's voice and he responded. We should have the same attitude. We should have the same attitude. We need to be ready to listen to those who are over us as well and those who would give us counsel. You see, was Eli the best priest around? He wasn't the best priest. No. He had his faults. He had some decent faults, this guy. But yet, when it came to giving young Samuel the right advice, he gave him the right advice and Samuel was willing to listen to counsel. So, all of us, me included. Yeah, the pastor takes counsel as well. Do you know that? It's important the pastor listens as well because if the pastor doesn't listen, then he goes off on his own tangent too. So we are here, as Bible says, for iron to sharpen, to sharpen iron. Now, you can sharpen me and I can sharpen you. I can share with you my counsel, but guess what? You've got something to share with me as well and with each other. And if we're listening, if we can listen, 
to each other. We may learn something, you know. Because the Lord has taught you things that I don't know. And the Lord has taught me certain things that you might not know. So my job is to share with you the things the Lord's taught me, correct? That's my job. That's why he's put me behind this pulpit. But that doesn't mean that it's not your job too. God's called you to share what you've learned with other people because there are always going to be people that need what you know. So you need to be ready to listen to them first. And if you find out that they know that they need to know something that you that you've learned that the Lord shared with you and you've, you've actually been able to acquire, then it's your responsibility to share it with them. The challenge we have in this world is there are so many different voices. There are so many things trying to get our attention. There is so much information in this world, and most of it's garbage, that it crowds our mind. And it's not as simple as what this story, do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it's not just uh, lying in your bed at night and you hear one voice. And you know, Sometimes our, our minds are so crowded with the things that we're, we're hearing on the news, you know, in newspapers and friends and colleagues and everything else. There is so much stuff going around and our lives are so busy that sometimes... We fail to, to listen to the truth. We fail to block out all the garbage. So there's a bit of a challenge for us in listening as well, in our society. And it's blocking out all the garbage first. Not giving ourselves too much time to absorb all the rubbish that's in the world. Maybe close a few doors, huh? And Facebook is wonderful. You can spend your whole day on Facebook, can't you? How much of that information on Facebook is useful? How much is useful on Twitter? How much is useful on every, every other um, social media that we have in this world? Uh, I, at work, I sometimes get about 50 emails a day. And I pray, Lord, there's got to be a better way <laughs> to communicate. <laughs> there has to be a way to just divert most of these things to junk, and I'm, I'm getting better and better at it. But... Most of the things that we hear from society, from people around us, is a waste of, waste of time. So we need to be able to distinguish between the rubbish and that which is useful. And don't give the rubbish as much time. So we can actually listen to the things that are more important. Every person in this room has not stopped learning yet. No matter how much you have learned, there is still more to learn both directly from the Lord and his word when you read it and from the experiences of others, we need to be ready to hear for ourselves and for them. Okay, so that's point number one. Point number two is we need to be ready to give. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. First Timothy chapter six verse seventeen. Now this is a challenge to, to the rich people, huh? But guess what? You're rich. Okay? We are richer than the people that live in these days, you have a lot more than them. So if you were to compare what you have today with what these rich people had then, you're doing very well. So the challenge is to the rich. And it says there in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world 
in verse 17, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. Now, Paul, says, Paul says to the rich people in the world, he goes, he goes, nothing wrong with being rich, actually, but don't trust in riches. Trust in God. Because if you trust in God, you're building riches up in heaven. If you trust in your riches on the earth, you're building them on the earth, but in the end it will mean nothing to you. And he says, there's one particular phrase that I wanted to pick up in this, in this, uh, in this passage. It was verse 18. And, it's, and they need to be ready to distribute. Ready to distribute. Is that, a, is that like a um, socialistic sort of thing? Yeah, maybe not. But ready to distribute means that if you have an excess and you see your brother in need, or if God has blessed you in a way that, that you can actually help other people, then there is an obligation, a readiness. It doesn't mean to give everything away, but it means there needs to be a readiness on your part to distribute, to give some of, those, some of that which you have to bless other people as well. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, just to, just to highlight this particular point. Second, Second Corinthians, nine, verse six. It says, "But this I say, he that soweth, soweth uh, sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which." Soweth bountifully, shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So there's to be a readiness there to give once again. And he says, don't sow Sparingly, which means stingily, but so bountifully. And he says, not out of necessity either. Don't, it's not as if you have to give and you're only doing it because this law says to you, you have to do that because God doesn't want that. God wants you to purpose it in your heart and to do it out of love. God expects us to give. And the place that you give, and someone asked me, every time I get into a conversation about giving with other pastors, they say to me, how often do you preach about giving? How often do you preach about tithing in your church? I mean, we have a standard. Once a year, we preach a, a, a full message on tithing. And I said, well, I don't think I've preached a message on tithing. They go, what? How do you get money in the, in the, the thing? I said, well, we just got a box at the back. What? I get confused. But the scripture does say to give. And the place you're meant to give is the church. And you might think, well, that's an organisation that's... Well, no, it's not. The church is you. The church is not me. I don't own the church. And, and we're not run by a denomination with, where people actually tell us how to spend the money in our church. You know something? We decide what to do with the money in our church. 
Actually, we don't decide at all. The Lord decides what we do with our money. But God expects us to give. He expects us to give from a cheerful heart. He expects us to purpose what we can give for his glory. In order that the gospel continues to go forth from this place and from the missionaries that we support out in the field. Giving to the needs of others should be a natural thing for a Christian, shouldn't it? When we've been showered with so many eternal blessings from God that we didn't deserve, we should always remember how much we've been given when we're considering to give. We are to be giving as a matter of course because our Heavenly Father is giving by nature. It should be our, our nature because it's our Father's nature. We must be ready to give. Paul says in, the, in chapter 9, verse, uh, if you go back just a few verses, verse 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1, it says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, that's giving money, mind you, okay? For as touching the ministry, the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. I don't have to write to you about this. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia, was ready, that, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Your zeal hath provoked very many. Isn't that a, a wonderful testimony? He, goes, he says to them, you know, for us touching your giving to the saints, the, the way you give, he says to them, I don't even have to write to you, it's superfluous, it's a waste of time for me to write to you, but you know what? He goes, for I know how you think. I know how you've already planned ahead how you're going to give. He says that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has provoked very many. He's saying that the way you give, the attitude of your mind to giving and ministering to the saints, because you can minister to someone in many different ways. Ministering simply means to serve. Okay, So he's saying you're serving the saints in this particular way by giving to them. And we can pray, you can actually help out physically, you can give someone your time, you can do all types of things. But in this particular case, he's talking about giving. And he says, you guys are so well organized and you're so giving and you're so, you think so far ahead that these guys are going to need this money. So we're going to start collecting from now. So when they go over there, they're going to be able to bring across a decent amount of money to help them out. And Paul says, what you're doing is actually inspiring other people to do the same thing. Achaia was the, the part of Greece of which Corinth was the capital. Achaia was ready. It means that the churches in this area had prepared themselves for this collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul stated that the collection was already made and waiting. How important do we consider giving to share the gospel in foreign countries? How important do we consider giving for people who are much less who are much worse off than us. Now, see, my heart breaks when I, when I see people dying unnecessarily without ever hearing the gospel. It breaks my heart. And there's a struggle that goes on within me, and I'll share this with you this morning, that we give for the gospel, but we don't give to help feed. And I, and I know there's a, there's a danger with all that. We can give all our money away tomorrow to help feed the poor and then they'll be poor again the next week. 
But I wonder often sometimes, I must admit, because we live quite well here. We live too well. And I see people who need to hear the gospel who don't get a second meal in a day. Something to pray about. But faith has determined that we give 20% of whatever is given to this church to our missionaries. And you know something? They do wonderful work out there. They don't just share the gospel, but I know that these people actually help the people in their communities in, in a number of different ways. Uh, if, you, if you've ever listened to the, um, all the, the, um, uh, the ones of the Papua New Guinea, the Mackays, you listen to the Mackays, you listen to the other ones, and they're, they're helping every day. They're helping heal people with wounds and, and uh, distribute medicines and, and educate them. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes around that thing as well. So it's a blessing to hear every time they come back to us and they say, this is what, what's happened. This is, what, this is what we've done. And it's just a blessing to see that they, they share the gospel, yes. But to share the gospel in a vacuum, without help, without the other education that needs to go around it, sometimes is a loss. They need to see us. They need to see us where we can help. And this takes me to the, um, the next particular point, which is Titus chapter 3, verse 1 which is ready to every good work. Ready to every good work. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Now look at this verse. It's an interesting verse. It says, Put them in mind... Okay, so he's, he's telling, he's telling um, uh, the church to remind people to be subject to principalities and powers. To be subject, which means to put yourself under principalities and powers to obey magistrates. And then he says to be ready to every good work. That's an interesting one, isn't it? So the, the, the majority of the verse is focused around obeying your civil government. So he's saying, essentially here, you are to obey the federal government, you are to obey the state government, you are to obey your local council, you are, obey, you are to obey the policeman on the street, you are to obey all the laws that this government puts over you, and he says, be willing to subject yourself to them. Now, well, okay, yes, we will, Lord. We will, because God loves authority, and he loves order. And then he says, be ready... To every good work. Now, how does, that, how does one relate to the other? You're talking about Lord obeying the government. Maybe he's saying, go the next step now. Don't just obey out of, out of a necessity. But he goes, be ready to every good work. Why? Because the Lord wants his children to be exemplary citizens of this country. And every country they live in. We are to be the best citizens that any country could ever have. One of the hallmarks of a Christian life is a desire and indeed the readiness to good works. Not to obtain salvation by it, but simply because our Father is leading us into them. So it says here to be ready 
to every good work. We shouldn't have to be urged, coaxed, persuaded, pushed, just to be the type of person who is constantly on the lookout to do good. That's the type of people we are called to be. The type of people we're called to be is to constantly be aware of what's going on around us and constantly be ready to do good. We should constantly ask ourselves questions like, what can I do to help in this circumstance? Where can I make a difference in this situation? Is there a word of encouragement, some counsel? Can I offer a shoulder to cry on, a helping hand, a prayer, a gift? We need to be the ones who make the difference in this world. And we have so much. We have the word of God within us that the Bible says we carry around as in, as in earthen vessels. Don't you think the world needs to hear those words? And it's not just the words they need to hear. They need to see what's going on. They need to see that the words that we speak are lining up with the things that we do. Because if we say our God is such a giving God, he's a loving God, he's a patient God, he, he is always, always doing good to people who don't deserve it, then how do we compare with him? How do we compare with him? Because if we, if we look disjointed from what he is, if we're the opposite character to what he is, and we say, he's our father, yet we're impatient, we don't care, we don't show love, we don't go out of our way, we don't share the words of truth and knowledge with people around us, how, do, how will they accept the words that we speak? Can, can, can anyone explain that to me? How can someone believe the words you speak when the, when the things that you do are the opposite? Yeah, we watched a, an interesting video the other night about a, a young Muslim man who got saved and he gave his testimony. And one of the reasons he got, he got saved, one of the reasons he put his faith in Jesus Christ is because he was living in an apartment block with some Christians and guess what? They were happy. And he noticed something and he says, they're happy, these people. What's, what's up with them? So he started to ask them questions and they were faithful enough in their, in their lives to help and, and, to, um, and to show a genuine peace and faith. So that eventually what he saw lined up with what they said. And he said, I have to have this. This is real. This is not an act. This is not, this is not a show. This is not something that people are just putting on on, on a Sunday morning. This is how they are all the time. That's what I want. And that's what people need to see. They can... We need to be ready to hear, to give, and to do every good work. We need to be looking out for it. And Jesus is the example of our life here. Because Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus went around doing good. Which brings us to the final point, which is Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Actually, it's the second last point. Romans chapter 1, verse 15.
Paul says here, so as much as is as as sorry, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. What was he ready to do? He was ready to preach the gospel, he was ready to share it. So Paul was ready to share the gospel at Rome, but Paul was an evangelist, wasn't he? He was. That was his job. But like I said to you before, my job is to, is to preach in this pulpit, but it's still your job to share the truth. My job is to, is to, maybe I'm not an evangelist, because not everyone's an evangelist, but it's still my job to share the gospel, isn't it? And it's still your job to share the gospel. We've been called to all do the same thing. Except there are some people who've got that as a ministry. There's some people who have that as a, as, as a specific gift. But we all have a responsibility to share the gospel. And you might say, well, alright, I'm, I'm, I, I struggle to share the gospel. How do, I, how do I begin to share the gospel with people? You know where you start? Your own testimony. Start with that. Do you know your own testimony? Do you know how you got to be saved? Know how it was the Lord came to save you. Your own story of how the gospel of Christ came into your life. Because you know how powerful that is to people? Do you know when you share the way God actually saved you, how it, how it impacts them? That's the best place to start. The best place to start is to know your testimony, to know who spoke to you, when they spoke to you, what were the things they said to you that changed your mind? How long did it take for you to come, finally come around? Do you know your own testimony? If you're not sure, write it down. Remember, ask the Lord to give you to help you to remember how it was you came to this position. How it was that day, that fateful day in your life when, when you put your faith in Christ and you received eternal life. If you don't know it, know it. Because when you share that with people... That will, that will hit them. That will make a massive difference to them. Know your testimony. And you need to know the gospel. Know the gospel. Know how to explain it in simple terms to people. We don't need to use all the convoluted um, uh, uh, theological words and, and, and phrases. Know how to explain it simply to people. Spend time memorising the certain scriptures that lend themselves to being able to explain the gospel. So you can say, look, the Bible says this. Now, things such, you don't have to learn a thousand scripture verses. You know, if you, if you start off with just Romans chapter, chapter 3, verse 10 to the end of the chapter, no, just go, know how to go to that bad place. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, John 3, 16. Know a few, and you will be surprised if you're sharing your, your testimony with someone, and that's how, but what does that mean? Let me show you. Look what John 3.16 says. Look at what you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says. It's a gift. I received that gift. Link, link the scripture with your own testimony. And they will understand what you're talking about. Learn to listen. This is, this is the one where it needs all the other ones before it. Huh? It needs all the readiness before. Okay, so in order to... In order to properly share the gospel with people, you need, to, you need to be able to be a good listener. You need to be able to hear where they're coming from. It's pointless hammering everyone with the same hammer you know, all the time because they might not be ready for it. There needs to be discernment. 
But you need to be a good listener to see where they're actually at in their lives. What they want, that what they want to know. Because you know something? If they've come to you and they want to know the gospel, guess who's already been working in their heart before you got to them? The Lord. And if the Lord doesn't work in their heart, if the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't work in their heart, you can, you can blurt out 10 million words and it won't make a difference. This is where we need to be listening to what they're saying. You share the gospel, but you listen to what their response is. It's pointless to be singing the same tune to every person when every single person that we meet is in a different place, is in a completely different place on that path. We must be good listeners and then we speak. We must be also ready to give. You know, when you're sharing the gospel, it's going to take your time. It will take your time. It will take your effort. It will take, it will take you know, you're going to risk you're going to risk being um, you know, maybe ridiculed, ostracised, made fun of. It's going to, going to have to give. You don't have to buy people cups of coffee, heaven forbid. But it will take giving. You will need to go out of your way. You will need to take of what you have and give. And finally, we need to be ready for every good work. As I've mentioned before, they need to see in us what we preach to them. Because if you're going to share a message with them, it will be either reinforced or destroyed by, or by your lifestyle. If you say to them that Jesus Christ has changed my life, I've received eternal life, I'm now an ambassador of God to this world, I am a child of God, I am redeemed, I am... I am uh, I, am, I have all these wonderful things and I follow Jesus. I've chosen to follow Jesus. Well, guess what? They're going to want to see that. So your lifestyle will either reinforce what you're saying and make it more real to them or it will turn them off what you're saying. The Apostle Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Give ready, give, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you. What would they be asking you for? Because they see something in you. They see there's a hope. They see you have something they don't have. And if they come to you and ask you what's going on in your life, the Bible says that we are to be we are called to be ready to give an answer to them for the hope that we have within us. So we need to know our Bible well enough to share the gospel with people. We need to know our testimony. So at this last point, we need to be ready to hear, ready to give, ready to do good works, ready to share the gospel. And Paul tells us that our primary motivation for all these things is never ourselves, it's for him. It's not for ourselves. No, we don't listen for ourselves, we don't, we don't do good works for ourselves, we're not building up, we're not trying to save ourselves because of these things, because the Bible, the, the Bible's already said he saved us, all these things should come naturally from our heart. Because God's put his nature within us. 
The Bible says that we love him. So whatever we do, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. But that love is, exp- is expressed in these things. Being always ready for him. That's who we're ready for. Not for ourselves, for him. Loving the Lord is our motivating factor. We have a perfect heavenly father. A father who loves beyond our understanding. Who did all these things to us? He preached the word to us. He made sure the word was somehow got to us, didn't he? He listened and he still listens to our needs. He's a great hearer. He's a great giver. God gives us more than we ever, ever deserve and continues to give us each and every day. And you know what? He's full of good works. So God is our own example here. God has done all these things and he continues to be all these things. He is our perfect example. Our true source of all that's good. Do we teach this, this to our children? Do we, teach this, do we teach the gospel to our children? At home is the first place for it. It doesn't stop when our children are saved either. We need to continually be teaching. Not the people just out there, but in our own homes. That's where our ministry starts. These are the things we need to be doing in our own homes first. Do you understand? We need to be good listeners to our children. We need to share the gospel with our children. We need to give to our children the things which are good, not just things that they want. We need to be ready for every good work so our children see and learn to imitate what it means to live godly lives. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 with me. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17. Because the Bible teaches us that God is ready himself. God is also always ready. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 says, And and refuse to obey. These are the people, okay? They refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return their to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. God is always ready to pardon. He's always ready to give grace. Always ready. We have a God who is ready all the time. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't go on holidays. When you go to him in prayer, you can know that he's there. He's always faithful, always ready. You know, we may turn away from him. And then we say, oh God, you've, you know, you've abandoned me or whatever. But always we're the ones who have, who have walked away. But you know what? He's always ready there for us to come back. Always ready to pardon. Always ready to give grace. Always ready. Isaiah 38 says something similar. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing song. We will sing my songs of the stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the house of the Lord. He says the Lord was always ready to save. He's always ready to save. Which brings me to my final point. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? 
Are you ready? Because he's coming. Matthew 24, 44 says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. If you aren't saved today, if you haven't heard what God has been talking to you about, if you haven't received the gift that he wants to give you because he is a giving God, if you haven't understood the gospel that he's been preaching to you, and if you haven't understood all the good works that he's already done around you because he continues to do good, the Bible says to the evil and the godly, he does it to everyone. If you haven't been aware of those things and you don't know Jesus Christ today, understand that at any time he could come back. Any time he could take us to be with him. And if you haven't received that gospel, if you haven't received that gift, and you're not saved, the Bible says you will go through a very difficult time later. And the Bible says that there is only one place left that is outside of the reach of God's grace, outside of the reach of his good works, of his listening ear, of his giving and his wonderful gospel. And it's a place called hell. It's the only place in existence that is outside of his readiness. That is a terrible place to be. Because in that place, no one will give you anything. No one will be there to listen. You will not have the gospel ever spoken to you ever again. There won't be good works. It will be a place totally devoid of anything where there is hope. It will be a hopeless place. So this morning, if you don't know Christ, He's ready. He's ready for you. He wants you to come to Him. And all you have to do is say, I believe in you. Turn from your unbelief and actually say, I believe in what you've done for me. I accept that gift that, that you've bought for me, my own salvation. I don't have to save myself, Lord. I, I, I turn away from this, from this life and this, and this hopelessness and I turn to you, my Saviour. If you pray that this morning, he is ready to give you eternal life. Christian, the Lord could return at any time. The Lord could call us home to be home, us home to be with Him at any moment. Are you ready? Is your lifestyle matching what you're saying? Do you live a life of readiness to serve Him? Or will you come to the end of your life or the time when He's called us home and you'll be ashamed of what you've done or what you haven't done? Have we been too ready to serve ourselves in this world and not ready enough to serve Him? God bless you. Thank you.